Welcome to the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, Quantum Leopard is a multi-award winning, pay what you like, no punching down, no picking on the audience, gender balance booking, central London Saturday night of lovely comedy and this is its podcast. Every episode will have a recording of a real live set from one of our nights and an interview with the comedy brain behind it. Uh, we have uh, videos of full shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard and that's going to have loads of sets that aren't in the podcast as well. Uh, we only charge when new live show videos come out. I'm your host and MC James Ross and this is Quantum Leopard. Uh, this episode we have the wonderful Tom Mayhew. Uh, this set was recorded on the 6th of November 2021 by Matt Hyton at uh, 2 Northdown and the interviews uh, took place on the 22nd of June 2022. Uh, I thought this one was a, a really interesting contrast with the Giles Norris uh, one from the last episode so I've put them together in, the, in this order. Um, content warning, uh, I'm not sure how to classify a mention of Spunkin' in the Bread Isle but there's one of those uh, and uh, also a little bit about the experience of Pinecobia. Uh, enjoy! John Ross, there we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> amazing. And uh, I've I've heard of The Rock. <laughs> I can't really follow that to be honest. I, I've not chatted to him. I've not flirted with him. Um, I've I've played a video game that he was in. So <laughs> I've controlled his mind. Basically. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to be doing this. Lovely to be doing this. Because um, it's been a weird, weird few years, right? And it's lovely to be back gigging. Cause it's kind of my job, right? And it's my dream job to do stand-up. And it's, uh, it, I remember when I was about 12, right? And the careers advisors were like, oh, so what do you want to be when you leave school? And I instantly said, I don't know, because a 12-year-old comedian is a pretentious little shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to be doing this, right? Because I didn't get a job quickly when I left school. I left school in about 2010 during a, that was my first recession. Um, <laughs> currently on a hat trick, doing very well for myself. <laughs> And so eventually I had to go to this place called uh, the Job Centre Plus. Um, I don't really know what the plus stands for. <laughs> like, presumably judgement and sadness. <laughs> and when I went to the Job Centre, right, I had someone there who was my personal advisor, right? They're the person who's supposed to be your one-to-one -one helper to help you get your dream job you've always wanted to do. But it wasn't great advice because the first thing they told me to apply for was to be a makeup assistant at Boots. Because <laughs> this is who you want doing your makeup, do you know what I mean? Like, even worse than that, I was a very shy 18 year old, so they'd be like, Oh, how's my makeup? And I'd be like, Yeah, it looks fine, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, True Beauty's on the inside, you know, it's just not gonna, I'm not gonna last very long in that job, I'll be honest. Um, but yeah, like, it's a bit of a weird uh, thing to be doing because I had. Um, an advisor there called Carol, right? And there's loads of people who work at the job centre who are great employees who do their best to try and help you get a job, but there's also a lot of Carols. Um, <laughs> Carol, she was a woman, right? I once went to sign on, and on her table she had a mug, and on the mug it said, work to live, live to shop. <laughs> when you're serving people who, A, don't have a job, and B, they can't afford to shop, like, you're kind of taking the piss there, mate, aren't you? Like, it's like if you went to see a doctor and he had a t-shirt which said, don't worry, I'm fine. <laughs> it's always weird, right, because whenever you sign on, they always ask a question when they sort of go like, how's your job search going? Like, I'm, I'm at the job centre, mate, how the fuck do you think it's going? <laughs> I don't want to just hang out with you because we're mates, Carol. Like, literally, that's why I'm here. Um, and I think a lot of the, the stigma towards people on benefits, right, it comes from that phrase, benefits, because uh, it kind of implies, like, to me, growing up, I thought uh, if someone had a benefit, I'd think, okay, you get your wage, and then your benefit is like a free aeroplane on top of it. Uh, sorry, I don't know what rich people get. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's not the right phrase, right? Because benefits are defined by the government as the lowest amount you can live on, the lowest amount you can survive on. So it's not the right phrase, because if you had a friend with benefits, <laughs> and someone was like, oh, so how often do you and your friend with benefits have sex? How often do you do that? And you sort of said, oh, we don't have sex, but once a year they wish me happy birthday on Facebook. <laughs> Not really for in the benefit of that scenario, are we? Let's be honest. 
they should call it what it is right, because what it is, it's like survival money. It's money people need to survive. Because then you'd never have these angry like gammon being like, oh, I'm sick of all these people living off their survival money. But like, Dave, when did you become such a prick, mate? What the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, but I did eventually get a job uh, working in a supermarket, Sainsbury's. Oh, what a name dropper. <laughs> and uh, like it was all right working there. I didn't, I didn't mind it. But I remember when I applied for it, right? There was a thing that said, okay, you should be, if you want this job, you should be passionate about working in retail. <laughs> Anyone here who's passionate about working in retail, just... No, they don't fucking exist, I'll be honest. Like, who is that person, right? As if they're going to go, oh yeah, here's, uh, here's John, he's a very good, very good employee, he works really hard, you know, all the customers know his name, he's always got a smile on his face, but he does occasionally get overexcited and spunk in the bread aisle. It's just too much passion there, he makes a mess, like... I have to go over the town, I go, John's done it again at aisle five. <laughs> but he's a great employee, John. He really cares about, he cares about Sainsbury's, he really cares about the brand. You know, he always, every morning, for his first words are, we've got to help people live well for less. He just loves, <laughs> he loves Sainsbury's. Like, he's got uh, the name of all five of his previous managers tattooed on his arm. <laughs> Including this one, Mark, he actually left uh, two days after he got the tattoo because it was a bit fucking weird, mate. <laughs> but he's a great employee. He really loves, really loves Sainsbury's. He loves the brand. He loves working for them uh, so much so that last week he did stab someone who worked in Morrison's. <laughs> you know, retail gang warfare is serious stuff, guys. Like the guy was just like, "Your basics brand is shit," and he just lost it, like literally. <laughs> It's a weird bit, right, when you work in a supermarket, because occasionally people used to come in and they'd be like, oh, I, I bought something in Tesco's the other day. Oh, I shouldn't mention that in here. And they'd be like, mate, it's not fucking Lord Voldemort. What are you talking about? But as if I'm going to go, there are other shops. I know it exists. Like, I don't live in Sainsbury's. I'm fully aware there's a Tesco and there's an Asda. Do you know what I mean? I just find it so fucking weird, man. <laughs> But uh, like growing up, right? Growing up, we never really had much. We never had like a nice clothes, expensive cars, self-esteem. Um, <laughs> and all through my life, people have been like, "Tom, mate, you should really be more confident. You should really be more confident. Put your head up, puff your chest out. You should really be more confident." Um, and you'd think that would have fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> like I was coming home from a gig recently, and a guy kind of stopped me, and he was like, "Mate, you really need to." Uh, Put your head up, you know, you can't really look down when you're, you're going home in, in this place. Because uh, I'm not a mugger, but if I was, you'd be an easy target. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if any of you have been a victim of a hypothetical mugging before. <laughs> Well, they don't steal your possessions, you know, just all your self-esteem that day. Uh, <laughs> I always think I'd be a really bad muggy though, because when they sort of go, give us all your money, they usually expect more than £2.50. Um, I've kind of got an image of them sort of walking me to an ATM and being like, right mate, I'm going to leave you with zero. And it's really nice then to clear my overdraft. Because <laughs> I grew up very sort of working class growing up, and it's a bit weird talking about that in comedy sometimes, because people go like, I had someone once after a gig go, oh Tom, I didn't think you were working class because you seem quite intelligent, quite educated. And I was like, mate, working class people can be like really intelligent and really well read and really smart and really, you know, eloquent. Like, have you not seen Top Cat? <laughs> if you've not seen Top Cat, basically, um, think your favourite cat, right? He's above that one. <laughs> And then in Top Cat, yeah, there's this guy called Officer Dibble, right? He's a policeman who spends his entire life trying to arrest cats. Yeah. <laughs> How the fuck did he get that job? I just... There was one day I was signing on, it came on the telly, and I was like, this is taking the fucking piss, mate, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like his poor wife, he goes home and goes, what did you do today? Oh, I tried to arrest a cat and I fucked up. She's like, why the hell am I with you, mate? <laughs> What am I getting out of this scenario? <laughs> oh, but uh, like it's, um, you know, my parents tried to do their best, raised us, tried to raise us well, and so, you know, set a good example. Uh, one way they did this was through this thing called, um, oh, what's it called? Shit, 
Oh, Christianity. Um, <laughs> and I don't mind my parents being Christian, I just wish they'd talk to me about it a lot less. Um, <laughs> literally last week, my mum said grace before we ate a ready meal. <laughs> I was like, Mum, God's got fuck all to do with this, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and they listened to lots of really bad Christian music. Like, I tried to get my mum a good Christian CD, so I got her a copy of Stormzy's Gang Signs and Prayer. Yeah. And I was like, Mum, you'll like half of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess, I guess it's quite sort of weird being raised Christian, because I... I think there's lots of really bad you know, examples of people who are Christian in the media. People like, like someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg says he's a Christian, mate. And I just think that's fucking mental, right? Because like, I'm quite sure there is a bit in the Bible where Jesus specifically says, all rich people are cunts. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing slightly there, guys. Um, I'm just saying, you know, as a feminist, I wouldn't punch Jacob Rees-Mogg because I think a woman should get the first hit. <laughs> But yeah, I guess it's quite weird for me being raised Christian because in my life I've uh, in my life I've dated people of different genders. Like uh, I don't really mind what someone is as long as you're not a fan of Paddy McGuinness. <laughs> <laughs> and occasionally people say stuff like, "Tom, does that mean you like having threesomes?" And I'm like, "No, not really. Like I can't imagine much worse than taking my clothes off and having two people go, oh, that's a shame.'" <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's quite weird, right, because it kind of, uh, you know, I think I was very sort of ashamed of my sexuality growing up. I was also very ashamed of my class, like probably more of my class than my sexuality, frankly, because with like being queer, there's so many big celebrations of people going like, be you, you're beautiful, you're great, but you, you don't really get that if you're skin. Like, there's no such thing as a poor pride, um, <laughs> presumably because we can't afford the parade. <laughs> I don't know what it'd be, just like, you know, Blazing Squad doing a concert or something. <laughs> If you missed that joke, don't worry, just flip reverse it. Um, <laughs> I mean, you guys loved it. Some people have fuck all that idea who plays in the squad up. And your life is worse for it, and that's all I'm saying. <sighs> but yeah, I don't know what it'd be, just people being like, what do we want? More money. <laughs> when do we want it? In less than six weeks. <laughs> It's kind of a. Uh, I've kind of been thinking about it a lot recently. Things like, uh, I guess, things like sexuality and things like gender and all that stuff. Because there's lots of chat about it on. I mean, on Twitter, not in real life, but you know. <laughs> I find it a bit weird when uh, occasionally comedians are a bit confused by the idea of people having different pronouns, right? Because I've seen some comedians be like, "Oh, it's so confusing. I just don't understand it because there's more than one." And I'm like, "Mate, you're you're fine with people's names." <laughs> <laughs> Like, you can remember that he's Nick, he's a builder, and he wants shat in a cement mixer. <laughs> Surely you can then remember that their name is Alex, and they've never shat in a cement mixer. <laughs> like, I don't think that's too sort of, uh, you know, tricky to do. I don't know, maybe people might be getting very angry and go, no, actually, I, I need to know what the person is if they shat in it. I mean, the cement mixer is the main thing in that story, really, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I don't know why anyone would care about any other aspect of it, to be honest. Oh man, I kind of, I don't know man. I've just kind of, I've been thinking about this shit quite a lot recently, right? Because I guess it, it's, it's kind of a weird, uh, I guess maybe as a, a queer man who's dated different people, people sort of don't get it. Like, I've had people be like, oh no, but which one, which one do you prefer? Like, uh, which one, like, if you, uh, if you, if you had to choose, and I'm like, okay, what, what is the situation? Why are you... <laughs> What? Like, have you already booked the registry office? What the fuck's going on? Like, oh no, but if I put a bullet to your head, like, why are you doing this, mate? Like, maybe we should talk about your relationships. Your problems, do you know? Like, oh no, but if I had a bullet to your head and you had to choose, if you had to choose you know, what person you'd marry, what they were, like, okay, what, what would you choose? What's your type? Okay, I do have a type. All right, what is it? Anyone but you. Because <laughs> I, 
find it really weird because sometimes people are like, you know, at the moment I'm I'm dating a woman, and some people would sort of be like, oh, that means you. They sort of go, oh, if you're dating a woman, it means you can't be bi because you're you're with a woman. And I find that so fucking weird because it's like going like, um, excuse me, what's your name, sir? Steve. Steve. <laughs> uh, how old are you? Uh, Forty-two. Forty-two. Steve here because he's forty-two. He's never been a baby. Yeah. <laughs> never been. He can't be because he's forty-two now. Literally. <laughs> What you do right now today, Steve, you've never been a baby, have you? No. <laughs> Wait, you shit at me, really? <laughs> when? What was your favourite bit of being a baby? Oh. Spit isn't written, I just thought it'd be a laugh to chat to Steve about being a baby for a bit, so... <laughs> Hopefully you're on board. Um, as a baby? Oh, and so you weren't just like, you're right, this is Paul, we can really get on here. We both love shitting ourselves. Okay, are you still friends with your mum and your dad? Yeah, yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Have you got your own baby? I don't. Okay. Well, that felt time, didn't it? That was good fun. But yeah, I will. Uh, I'll leave you with a bit about. I used to. Uh, I used to date someone a few years ago, right? And they used to read sort of role play, and I wasn't really that good of it. You know, they kind of. Uh, basically, they would. I would pretend to be James Bond, right? And they pretend <laughs> that they still love me. Um, <laughs> and uh, once they tried to get me to do dirty talk, which I'm not very good at normal talk, but I was. Uh, <laughs> Okay, I'll give this a go, right? And they shot and said, uh, Tom, how hard is your cock? And I, I really panicked and I just went, It's as hard as the final level of Spiral the Dragon? <laughs> <laughs> that will kill the mood, guys. Just, uh, yeah, you've been really lovely. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll hand you back to John. Thank you very much, Tom Mayhew. So that was a uh, wonderful Tom Mayhew set at Quantum Leopard. And now we have here, uh, for wonderful interview purposes, going to share his uh, wisdom, uh, the fabulous, wonderful, magnificent Tom Mayhew. Tom, how's it going? I'm good, thanks, man. Yeah, how are you? Good, good. Yes, I, I'm um, recording, and therefore I'm in an environment that is warm and uncomfortable. So um, how were you feeling going into this gig? Like, um, And uh, how, did you, how did you find the audience? Probably slightly nervous, maybe a bit rusty as well, to be honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but the audience were really lovely. They're really nice. Uh, they're always very welcoming. Like I feel like if you're not feeling a hundred percent, it's it's a nice gig to to come to because they're never gonna make that worse. You're always gonna leave the stage feeling better and feeling like uplifted because it's a very supportive, lovely night. Like one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of like get you in um, like quite early in the, the sort of the recording season is is basically like it's because of like the class element, which is very much like your story and very much like your kind of USP and, and identity as a comic. So, um, I mean, like comedy is obviously like a very sort of middle to upper middle class business and like especially on the kind of industry side of things. Um, you know, in my experience, by observation anyway, like it's a lot like publishing in the sense there's like a lot of women named after flowers and all the men are called Oliver. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, and like I mean yeah, I know mean, like, you're obviously like a very distinctively and consciously working class voice, um, and you've got uh, shows like um, I Tom Mayhew and uh, Tom Mayhew is Benefit Scum. I think is the mm-hmm. I'm probably slightly mangling the the exact word. No, no, you, so, you nailed them both. Well done. Oh, get in, yeah. Um, so anyway, so I mean, like, obviously, there's a lot of advantages to approaching an industry like comedy from a, a prosperous middle to up middle class background in terms of like connections, financial safety net, um, you know, the sort of the the ability to work for little or no pay, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, I suppose one of the things I want to do is like start off by asking you if you felt there were any advantages that you think your working class background has given you that have really helped you in comedy because like, there's it, it's very easy I think to to focus on just you know here's the massive leg up you get from being posh and rich is there anything in your background that you feel has really helped you well i i suppose like one of the aspects of comedy that everyone goes through is you do a lot of gigs where you um you don't get paid you know early on especially a lot of your gigs you do yeah, and you're yeah. performing for free or you're uh, getting very little money that doesn't even cover your travel and yeah. i've always just sort of 
for whatever reason, whether it is because of my upbringing or, or because of my relationship with money or whatever, I've always not minded knowing that you have to graft a bit. Like I've always mm, been brought mm, up to mm. be taught we have to graft really hard, we have to work really hard, we have to really put the effort in. And I think that probably does come from my background because the less like the less money you earn per hour, the more hours you have to put in to get something. So you're used to going, yeah. it's all right, we have to go the extra length. Like there was no there was no thought in my mind where I went, what, do I not get paid? I was like, yeah, of course, that's 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 fine. I'm, you know, I didn't have that ego or the arrogance to think I should get paid early on. Whereas I think if someone's used to earning a lot of money, suddenly the idea of them not getting paid anything, they might be a bit snooty and a bit like, do you know who I am? Excuse me, I should get, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, I think probably it's a lot like one of those industries, it's a lot like those industries where, uh, you know, you're expected to basically like work the unpaid internship, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in order to kind of get that experience and partly because, you know, there are so many people who want to do it. Uh, it's a very flat pyramid in terms of um, the approach. And if you don't want to do it and you won't take some, um, you know, uh, terrible paying conditions for a particular job, then mm. they'll kind of, um, you know, there, there will be somebody else who's kind of like willing to, willing to kind of like step in and, and take that, take that place. Um, is there anything that you've ever like turned down because you thought like, no, I'm this is, this is too terrible, this is too awful? Are you at the stage now where you can turn things down if you don't like them or like the idea idea of them? I mean, it depends what what I'm being offered. Do you know what I mean? If if someone goes, we'll give you a a fiver to write an article in the sun i can probably turn it down do you know what yeah I mean? yeah yeah um but i i'm still at the stage now that you know i'm got to earn i've got to earn money so I'm, I'm always a bit like if the sun offered me five grand to do an advert i'd probably do it because a because i need the money right now literally i need the yeah. money in my account to be able to afford to live my life and b you know i know i can use that money to do something good to do something that is opposite to the sun's views that is more kind and and considerate and just not being the dickhead (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah 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 and also you know i feel like there are certain um you know people who do have the attitude where they're very anti doing certain things like anti adverts or anti going on certain shows but often i feel like that does come from a place of privilege like Mm, mm, if mm. you could afford to go no i'll I'll turn down an advert for 10k because i'm better than that i'm like well plenty of people would need that 10k mate and you know that's just your your privilege showing i think and i Mm -hmm, feel mm -hmm. like uh you know most normal people you you make that kind of money for a a day's work they'd snap your hand off so it generally I'm, i'm not uh I'm not at the stage where I can I can turn much down at the moment, and I mean, I mean to be honest, I think a lot of uh, comedy is about doing anything or doing as much as you can because even the experiences you're not sure about, if they turn out terrible, then that's a story. <laughs> like... Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I mean, it's interesting because it's like I mean, there's the whole idea of sort of artistic authenticity, right? Um, and that. Oh, hold on. Can I can I just say? Yeah, yeah. In case, in case they're listening, I would do a Just Eat advert. <laughs> Just see if you're if you're listening, uh, Tom will take your money. Um, Did somebody say just eat? There we go. How could you turn that down, right? <laughs> I, I'm going to order three takeaways right now. Right, that's, that's, I'm going to do. It. I won't eat more. I'm just going to sit. I'm look at them, and I'm just going to remember as I'm looking at them. Tom Mayhew singing that in my ear. I'm, I'm going to take that sample actually, Justy, and I'm just going to loop that right. And whenever. <laughs> Whenever I'm thinking, Mom, am I hungry? Am I not? I'll play that on on a loop, right? And like Pavlov's dog, I will begin to salivate, right? That is that's how it's gonna work, right? So he's he's there. Just let us know, right? You know where we are. Thank do you. you. Think, do you think they heard that? I think they did. Yeah, I think I'm gonna be the new face of Just Eat. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I mean, from my point of view, I would like to live in a society where, um, like, everybody has sufficient financial security that they that everybody gets to make a moral decision about whether they do a particular piece of work or take a particular job or not mm. um and I, i'm wondering to what extent is that like is that a view that is compatible with yours are these two sides of the same coin or um are we just viewing it from two different perspectives yeah well i, I do feel like I, I would like to to live in that world but um as long as that is not the world <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, if, right, if, if, if enough, I was in enough. that world, I'd be like, "Yeah, cool, that's fine." I'm behind this, but as, while that's not the world, and there's yeah. there's uses I could find for that money, I, I would really struggle to uh, 
to turn down to turn down picking out the air just eat for example i'd really yeah, just struggle eat. to just, just call just call tom right did, yeah, did somebody really... say tom mayhew i think they did right i think they did yeah and i'm salivating so yeah um <laughs> no i'll take your point all right fine we'll, we'll i'll tell you what as soon as um workers democratic control of the means of production distribution and exchange have uh, has been established and we've got universal basic income that we'll revi- revisit that chat then we'll get you back on the podcast when that happens oh yeah if i'm still doing adverts then you can, <laughs> you can absolutely pillar in me do you know what i mean was there was there anything that you kind of like saw as a child that, that kind of like tilted you into thinking okay comedy is a thing and comedy is a thing i can do maybe not as a child you know maybe maybe i don't think i considered it a career until i was about like 11 or 12 but i don't think in my head i thought that was the thing people did i almost you mm. know i think before then i was just like oh they're the telly people they're they're different from real people <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i knew they were real people I, I wasn't like oh they're the people who live in the telly but but do you know what i mean i, I thought they were uh you know i didn't think that was a career option because i didn't know anyone who worked in anything like that so in yeah, my head yeah. i was just like okay they're the people who do that but our jobs are you know working in a supermarket or a warehouse or uh you know a dinner lady because people i knew did those things so yeah you just think oh that's what people i know do that must be the jobs for people around where i live but yeah 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 interesting i mean like it it strikes me that 11 or 12 is like that's that's still like really young to like fixate on i mean any career path let alone one that you are now actually doing like you know, well into your 20s. Early 30s? 20s. I'm, I'm 30, I'm 30. There we go. Congratulations. Um, I'm making it this far. Well there done. We yeah. It's, uh, well, you, you sell it. I mean, that, it's, the, it's the kind of skin tone that would really advertise Just Eat very well. <laughs> Um, cool. So um, I want to talk about uh, I, I, right. This is this might be my favourite sequence in your um, set. The bit about being passionate about working in retail, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I I absolutely love this bit. I really really like this bit because it does to me it does um, what a lot of really great stand up does, which takes a relatively simple observation, like uh, you know it's a found sentence or a found phenomenon, and it takes it like takes it very seriously on its own terms, just to demonstrate <laughs> how absolutely fucking stupid it is right like mm-hmm. the idea of being passionate about working in retail is absolutely yeah. absurd right but it's like it's a lie that we are uh, encouraged to take seriously and i don't think anybody really takes it that's it well i say anybody like the overwhelming majority of people don't take it seriously but I we had, all have to like had, pretend that we do i had some colleagues at sainsbury's and i tell you i think they did take it quite seriously the, yeah so this brings me to my question right so like you obviously you referenced john being like a specific guy so part of my question was is there a real John? Is John one specific guy or is John a lot of guys? He's based on an amalgamation of like two or three people who I worked with, I think, and kind of kind of shoving them together and their, yeah. their quirkiest and weirdest kind of qualities because, you know, you, there were those people who you did, you know, I mean, especially like managers or... or um, assistant managers or whatever the, the oh the assistant the manager, called, manager. You know, yeah they yeah, would yeah, always yeah. be the ones who would get really excited about whatever promotion was going on in store and they'd be <laughs> like have you seen this you can get this many nectar points and they were like really really into it and you felt like they're the type of be a person who would go home and put it on their facebook profile to tell people and mm-hmm. and those just those people who you know those people who you you, you talk to in a when they're in their twenties and you're in your twenties, and you just go, "Oh, so what do you see your future?" and they just go, "Oh, yeah, hopefully I'll be a manager of a smaller store one day. That's my dream." And you're like, "I can't relate to this, like, because you, you <laughs> clearly, and you know, all respect to them, absolutely fine. You do whatever job you want as long as you earn money and you're happy and you're not annoying people. That's cool. But um, you know, occasionally those people, especially you know, the assistant managers and the managers would be, uh, they would just be like, "Yeah, can we all?" Uh, yeah, come on, guys, pick our energy up. You know, smile a bit more, be a bit, be a bit happier. Like I remember once I was on self scan and my manager came over and he went, "Oh, Tom, can you try being a bit, a bit happier? Because we've got someone, you know, coming round to to check the store later or something." And I was like, "Mate, I'd be happier if you maybe pay me the living wage." Yeah, how's that for an idea? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean it's this whole thing about like jobs that try and encourage you to like emotionally and morally commit to some sort of like transcendent purpose when they when they are paying you 10 pounds an hour right and it's like you know getting people to try and pretend it's their dream job like nobody like i know so few people who are doing their quote-unquote dream job right Mm. like even even comedians who've got like 
that's the thing that they do that's the thing they derive value from so many of them have got like a side hustle a day job etc etc um and just yeah just the idea of getting somebody to to think that it's important just feels i don't know there's just something in me that just like intrinsically rebels at the idea that you should take that sort of thing seriously like i just find it I suppose vaguely like morally upsetting. Yeah, well, when you when you're when you're uh, the type of people who would quite like to see the abolition of capitalism, yes, yeah. uh, it's tricky to buy into the corporate dream of <laughs> working nine to five at Sainsbury. Yeah, that that is fair. I think it's it's an interesting point you bring up as well about like how it's like the assistant managers and the managers that are like the real problems who like really kind of buy into it, who drink mm. the Kool Aid, sing the company loyalty song. I think there's a there's a very definite tendency there for like the sort of the subaltern class within this because they're not the big bosses they're not mm. the the people at the grassroots who are actually like doing the quote-unquote hard work right they're the people who are kind of in the middle they've got a bit of power and authority but their position is vulnerable and so they're sort of status anxious and they need to lash out and demonstrate this authority and be super loyal right you know this is this is so I, you know i went to a very good university and spoke to uh, and met a lot of like people who are definitely like fully expect to become mps right whether they will yeah. or not one day they fully expect to and the people who do that like do not take the system seriously they do not buy the kool-aid they do not they do not take um, you know these sort of um, uh, kind of shared illusions um, seriously, but they def- they know that they're going to be supported by this lowest middling stratum um, of people who definitely do, and it's maintaining that illusion that I think is is very important to them. Um, I've, j- I've just remembered how like literally, and clearly I've just blacked it out because it was just so, so dull and weird. Like you turn up at the start of the month, and in the staff room, there'd be a thing saying like, "These were our sales for the last month." Mm. This was 1.8% above this time last year. And, you know, and it would have, like, your, your manageability. Yeah, look at that. Isn't that good? And I was like, this, this doesn't impact me. Like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why, they would get excited about it and go, oh, we're doing really well. I'm like, I, it, it has no impact at all on my yeah. wage. No yeah. impact on... I don't get... I don't. You don't even get a bonus nowadays working in a supermarket job. It makes no impact on me whatsoever. It's that, you know, Sainsbury's getting... 50,000 more sales or whatever in a month is not any relevance to me just because I work there. It's exactly the same as going like, oh, Man City have broken their transfer record. It has no impact on my life. Like, <laughs> but, but they would really care about it and really be like, oh, guys, we've got to do better because sales were down 2%. It's like, it's nothing... To, again, it's probably nothing even to do with the workers. It's, it's just yeah, literally... Yeah. You can't always get constant growth, which they're always yeah. striving for. And that's why bloody collapses because they're expecting every year to go up 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 and it's it's insane yeah like permanent exponential growth is not physically possible right um, and that's part of it i mean yeah i mean it's the thing it's like you you're not getting a bonus you're not getting commission so what they're really doing by saying like oh well you know profits are up 1.8 percent is what they're what they're actually saying is we have managed to squeeze 1.8 percent more cash out of you right this is 1.8 percent of money that you're not getting right like these mm-hmm. are the profits that we're extracting from you and your work which is like and that's a that's a bold flex trying to like get you to be happy and pleased with that which is it's mad yeah because <laughs> it's... it's literally them going like oh look idealistically you should be entitled to, to this but you're not gonna get it you're not gonna <laughs> get fine. a single penny of it and you're just like why are you showing me this <laughs> um so i mean like did you did the other people that you were working with who were like on the shop floor did did any of them buy into this or did they like see through it for what it was like what was their attitude i think most people know that it, it doesn't actually not it doesn't matter but but you know you they just know it's their job you know, most yeah. people that they're, they're not going i've got to really work hard to to help the brand they don't you know not doing that stuff they, they're just going well i, I want to do my job and i want to be good at my job because that's good for my self-esteem and it makes me feel good and mm-hmm. i want to keep mm-hmm. it and you know i quite like earning money but most people they don't actually give a damn about the brand or the the certain service that they're working for i mean mainly because if you've been working there two or three years you'll see how often they make really good employees redundant for no reason yeah. so yeah yeah you know yeah. that 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 really you know i was all i was all right at sainsbury's for the first two years or so and eventually i really the reason i kind of really hated it by the last year was because you, you you saw people who'd been working there 20 years 25 years who were like you know the the decent managers who interviewed with you when you joined or people who had you know someone who'd worked there for for 40 years and and she was made 
redundant because oh we have to make cutbacks while we're giving the ceo 500 million pounds or whatever stupid money they they give the people at the top you know and the people at the top always earn more and more and more and then they make loyal employees redundant and you know when you work with them you see those employees in tears going i've never been unemployed for 40 years what am i going to do and you just think how why should i give a shit about this brand if this is how you, you treat the little guys yeah yeah i mean it's the thing about like loving the company that you work for it's like they will not love you back right possibly like, 40 years ago some companies would have had a, a sense of loyalty and, and uh decency and you know would stand by their staff and, and all that stuff but i think um just nowadays i think it's all out the window really yeah yeah all right for um uh factual purposes uh sainsbury's has revealed that its chief executive simon roberts received pay worth 3.8 million pounds in the last financial year even as it rejected calls from big investors for it to ensure that all workers at its stores receive a living wage so uh <laughs> just to just pop in a bit of a quick well, fact I was, check in there I, I was a bit over with the 500 million so the um the blazing squad joke right so um i like that that's niche right uh i vaguely understood it (laughs) (laughs) that's fine i've heard of it i've heard of young people's music tom uh i mean it was it was young people's music 20 years ago so um well that was i mean that was probably the last time that i was paying attention to young people's music so that that does make sense that definitely tracks so with the places squad joke so you referenced the ql crowd getting it and others not getting it so um this one is one i want to approach just at like the level of technique right so like what's your what's your hit rate on that joke or is that something that you say to every crowd in order to make them feel special because they're the ones who got the joke and it actually works more or less all the time no no the, the hit rate is probably 30 percent wow um, okay and you is, keep it in that is well I, brave. I keep it in because I, I well don't, i don't do it every set do you know what i mean okay yeah but, yeah but again in my comedy i i i like to have those bits in there that's a partly they're there for me just because i like them and b it's like yeah this this won't necessarily go for a lot of people but the people who like it will properly love it yeah. I've always got that kind of approach to stuff I'm, I'm writing and I'm working on even my, my Radio 4 show there were some bits that I was chatting to the exec producer and they were like yeah but I don't think many people will, will, will get that and I'm like yeah but I want to keep it in the script for the 20% who will get it and yeah, you know, yeah. you, you want m- most of your stuff to have 95% hit rate you want most of it to be really really strong but I, I always just think some of the funniest bits are the weird quirky bits that you're almost surprised when people properly love it because you're so you know you're used to having just a couple of people really laughing and going like cool they're my friends like <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's a bit like you know most of the set are that the hit singles and then you've got this these few these few jokes that are their album tracks that might have gone um above most people's heads that they don't really care about but then some people really love them and i yeah i just think there's a it's just a place for stupid shit like that <laughs> you know, i could have said it in one sentence i just think there's a place for stupid shit like that <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's perfectly reasonable i mean I, it's interesting what you say about like um wanting like a smaller slice of the audience to be like really really into it because i think a lot of what um comedians when they're trying to get established like need to do is find a niche and hit it hard right like work out who you are and who the audience that is going to like what you do are and a lot of the time there's a lot of overlap right like i am thing x i am category x i do thing y therefore people who are thing x or do thing y are really going to be into it right Mm -hmm. um so i think there's definitely like i think that's definitely something that i would recommend that younger comics do is like work out who you are work out who you're presenting as mm. and therefore who is because like the people who are like the people who are going to buy a ticket to your show and the people who are going to like tune in and listen to your series who are going to you know, hop on the podcast that you're recording things like that the people who are doing those things the people who like really love what you do because they identify with it mm. so you know pleasing everybody is good and it's good to have um you know some back pocket stuff um, that you can just kind of pull out that is like, okay, this is solid gold. It's not very inventive. It's not very interesting, but it makes most people sort of laugh. Mm. Having that back pocket stuff is great. But if you want to like, you know, build yourself up and, um, you know, build a following um, and like, you know, really make a difference to a smaller number of people, then that's that's what you need to do. Yeah. So the the bit about poor pride, I thought was a, like, it's a really nice sequence. Like I thought it was really mm. good about um, demonstrating like the tension between, you know, class politics and identity politics um, within like progressive movements. Um, 
and I, I wondered um, less about the sort of the the technique of that bit because that to me is a fairly uh, fairly clear example of the sort of the technique of doing one song to the tune of another and then mm-hmm. doing that kind of comparison. Um, but more about like the issue as a whole. So you know that clash between class politics and identity politics is that something that you think is First, is that something that you see as a tension? Is that something you think is getting better, is getting worse? What do you think? I do feel there is a bit of a, a tension and it's possibly why um, often it can at least at least feel like, um, you know, people who are more, li- more likely to be right-wing, more likely to vote Brexit are, you know, possibly more likely to, to be working class and also buy into any kind of anti identity politics agenda is because mm. they feel left behind that they they do feel like there's all these spaces for uh, other underrepresented groups and that they do probably think where's where's our piece of this this pie um and i feel like that does create attention because people do uh do believe that and even though it's not always the case in a very black or, or white way I think um, you know it's, it's a thing most people on the left don't want to uh, admit or recognise but I mean there, uh, there are examples you could see where there would be an element of truth to that where there, there would be you know that places that aren't uh, that you can't get into if you're, you're working class and then they would see people getting in on uh, you know, a scholarship if they're from a different nationality or a different location, and and I I can see why people might that might piss them off, like you know, because mm-hmm. it's because it's that thing where society is always trying to solve ten problems at once, and there's always a point where while you're solving one problem, that'll piss off someone who is struggling with another problem, whether it's whether it's someone who uh, goes. I mean that's where a lot of a lot of the uh, horrible gender critical stuff comes from, isn't it? It's it's people going like, hold on, you know, it's right wing women who have gone, yeah, but you know we want full equality, and then the anger probably comes from people going, yeah, but let's help these these other people, and then they go, no, and it, it I think it's a lot of people just feeling like they need to fight other battles and other people who are trying to rise up instead of everyone working together and mm, mm. Uh, I mean a lot of it is fueled by a horrible um, mainstream media that does grasp onto those fears when they're small and make it bigger with you know propaganda and all sorts of bullshit like that but um, you know I, I I could see why 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 people what might feel like that you know i i definitely feel like there's a you know i've seen i feel like i've seen more people who represent me in terms of my sexuality in the media than i have my class like like over the last five years or so and partly that's because LGBT is cool now. Everyone's on board with it. It's a big selling point. Even Disney like queer people now. Fucking amazing. <laughs> like, even Mickey Mouse is going to kiss Goofy. Probably. I don't fucking. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and it's it's become this 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 big thing. And so you, part of you does feel like, yeah, but what what about what about the other side of of my story? What about the other people who, who aren't, getting this light shine on them? And is and that's always going to be a problem when we live in a society that does prioritize uh privileged people whatever whatever the form of privilege because there'll always be people who are underprivileged who inherently do feel underprivileged because <laughs> because they are like yeah 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 i mean it, it's interesting i think you raised some really good points there um that are really interesting um i mean i think it's definitely the case that a lot of people who haven't like been given a stake in like liberal modernity and increased opportunities uh are necessarily going to be a bit resentful of that but if, if you don't include a class component to that mm-hmm. in your analysis and what you're doing and who you're targeting with that then that's that is gonna that is gonna provoke a reaction um i think 
a lot of what you're saying about um sort of you know all the gender critical stuff i think a lot of that interesting that like um the uk is quite unusual in the sense that our transphobia tends to come from sort of the center left like it's a lot of um like quite prosperous former middle class radicals that want to kind of like maintain their their self image as as radicals who then need to find a new target um for it um and you know they they can no longer say okay well look now that my material conditions have improved i can't really you know fight the class war anymore um but i still have this sense of like the superior virtue of the oppressed right therefore i must devise a new kind of oppression and you know uh trans people are are the enemy that i've decided on um and you know again that's a sort of a very classic way for um uh, you know, sort of um, far right uh, authoritarian movements to you know cast an enemy as being simultaneously all powerful and very very weak, right? Like that's that's very very common uh, as a as a trope. How, e- how easily people buy that idea, and you're like, yeah, you're literally selling me complete opposites and people. And it, but it's always the way. It was always yeah, yeah, the yeah. Way, You know, it was always it was the way with you know gay people in the fucking 1950s, whatever. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, absolutely. I mean, shit. the thing is, why the reason why it's the same old shit is because divide and rule by a ruling class in terms of like an unequal distribution of resources to the people that are below them and unequal opportunities to the people below them, it works, right? Like mm-hmm. this is what empires use when they were, you know, subjugating this, that, or the other people. You know, you find a minority, you make appoint that minority as like regional administrators or whatever. Then you've got mm-hmm. a semi-privileged cast of assistant managers who are reliant on you as the occupying power who are going to defend you against the mass, right? Like, and it's classic divide and rule, and it it keeps cropping up because it works right and you know the times when it gets overthrown tend to be sort of uh, de-emphasized historically when you have um history curricula that are set by exactly the kind of people who are going <laughs> to these places and, uh, and do this stuff right so when you're talking about um bisexuality and having to quote unquote choose so mm. um that sequence that you've got there so was that like a more or less real conversation is that based on one specific conversation or again is that like a sort of a a combination of of several conversations no i think that's that's kind of um a combination of, of, of several conversations over the years because mm-hmm. you do still meet those people who still have uh those attitudes where they don't quite get how that stuff works and i think uh some of it comes from bigotry and some of it comes from just genuine confusion like i think when yeah. i when i came out to my parents i think my mum was a bit like oh no but how how does that work like as if as if there's a as if there was like a, a mass formula or something like like yeah uh, yeah, yeah. and I, I think you know people do maybe naturally if you're if you're used to people being 100 percent straight or 100 percent gay i can see why people might go oh wait so what 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 are, you know what are you what is your what is your thing um and then you throw in people who identify as neither male or female and then suddenly their heads explode <laughs> 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 but like you know it's 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 that thing where I think um, it's kind of come from that idea of you know basically having loads of people who either are anti it or are confused by it, and it's like trying to explain that, but in a funny way. Like, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't want to write something that is attacking those people. I don't think that's helpful. I think, you know, it's it's not always their fault um and i think it's everyone's confused by some stuff sometimes and if i can help explain it or make it clear and also do that material in a in a way that relates to people who are similar to me then that's that's some of the best thing that um writing can do yeah 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 I, th- I think the way that you do it is actually it's really nice it's like it's quite sort of playful and like reasonably kind to these people who just like just simply do not get like a core bit of who you are so i i thought it was a really really nice bit and um yeah when you were talking about talking to um uh steve in the front row who does actually look slightly like a baby uh <laughs> I, say, I say that with a great deal of affection is there a distinctively tom mayhew way of building material that you feel is is different from other comics that is like distinctive to you i usually i would think of uh, an issue or a topic or a problem and be like i want to write about that and usually the the best stuff comes from things that i initially go oh no i don't want to write about that and because it's stuff you're not confident about exploring or talking about or it's from quite a tricky poem a tricky moment in your past or quite a, a difficult thing you went through and 
I like setting myself the challenge of going, let's write something funny about this thing that isn't funny. And often it takes, you know, weeks to actually get the first sort of line. And then eventually you're like, I've got it now. Mm -hmm. And then you just build on it and you build on it. And, um, you know, eventually you you look back and you go and go in like, oh, no, I I didn't think anything was funny about that too. Oh, I've got a really solid 10 minutes on, on something that, was actually really upsetting at the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of um, how an audience like appreciates what a comedian is doing is about like recognising that honesty and getting on board with that. Um, and if you are writing about something that is difficult for you, then that necessarily means that you're going to be, I mean, if you're doing it well, is that you're going to be reporting on that experience honestly. And I think an audience definitely like bonds with you over, over that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's really, really great advice. <laughs> So if there's one thing that you could say to yourself at 18, what would it be? I would say that I think during the first 18 years of your life, there's a lot of people or societal pressures that kind of teach you that you should not rock the boat and not be different and not do things that whoever they are perceive as, as weird or normal or or you know not what they would do. And, and generally, I feel like you spend a lot of... Um, you spend a lot of your first 18 years really worrying about that stuff and then once you get into your late teens and your 20s you just go oh no actually I can just do whatever I want I can be whoever I want I can hang out with whoever I want and really most of people who are uh, telling you that you shouldn't be something or you can't be something or you won't be something or that it's wrong to be something they're usually the people who would just scare themselves of being something yeah really excellent lovely uh thanks very much Tom. that was um really lovely so uh, if you want to catch up with you on the socials um what should they uh look for and where and do you have anything you want to plug just type tom mayhew i'm on twitter facebook youtube instagram all those kind of things and you can listen to the the first two series of my radio 4 show if you just go on my youtube it's on there okay lovely stuff thanks again so much tom uh it's been lovely chatting. thank you for having me thank you see you in a bit Bye bye was the quantum leopard podcast uh, if you want to catch a live show in london look us up at uh, linktree uh, forward slash quantum leopard to sign up to the mailing list uh, we will never take advertising because advertising is cultural poison but from each according to their ability to each according to their need so if you enjoyed our guests in your ears but would like them in your eyes as well uh, we have uh, videos of whole shows up on patreon.com forward slash quantum leopard we only charge when a new live show video comes out if you enjoyed the show why not give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and or share this episode on the socials editing was by uh, Reese Lawton who is uh, conventionally attractive and fun at parties uh, music was composed and produced by Rooks Production Services at, at I Am Rooks on the socials that's Rooks with an E uh, the Quantum Leopard podcast is distributed and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license which means you can share it as much as you like but don't uh, change it or sell it in any way because I will find out where you live uh, kind love and see you soon bye Interestingly, Tony Law did not choose to warn us about 9-11, and I think that says a lot about Tony Law. It does. Yep, there we go.